powerlessness of not of not seen of not seen breakthrough they they don't have peace and they they want peace i mean we all want peace in our lives so they come to the conclusion that that it's from god and that's how God made the child, and now they've got peace because they've come to a reconciliation within themselves that that's how God made them. But that's not a peace that God gives. That's a peace the world gives. It's called the political correct spirit. I was like, well, now I'm at, you know, we're at peace. And when, when somebody comes along like myself and begins to go after and show that these kids that there's hope for these kids is that these kids can be healed that God's best for them is healing then I get the hate mail because I just rocked the foundations of their peace which is false anyway because their peace was built on what man said or what they came to the conclusion of as opposed to what God said and I have have such a burning heart to the purpose of the the purpose of the book, The Perfect Gift, is like I, there's a sentence in there that uh, it'll take me a while to find it, but it, it says something along the lines of, I'm not actually here to discuss the, the theology of healing because it's not actually a healing book, though it totally is. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually a book to bring hope, encouragement, and lives into families. Because I'm just seeing, I, I'm seeing just messed up families. Like, I, I hear the stories. I, I'm probably in connection with more autistic families than, than most. I mean, I've got a secret Facebook group that's got 450 in. I, I hear their horror stories. I see the way that they live. And you can't tell me that that's God's best. Like the, like the little boy, little autistic boy that was adopted by a family and from the age of, from a speaking age, like two and a half, he'd walk into his parents' room every night and said, when you're asleep tonight, I'm going to come in and I'm going to put a knife right through your heart. I'm going to kill both of you. Yeah, it sounds like from God, huh? And I, I'm, I'm a just, I'm a really firm, I'm standing really, really firm on this. And the more kickback I get, the firmer I get. Because the, the child is the ultimate perfect gift from God. The child is the absolute perfect gift, but the condition's not. And I, I think that as a body is that that we, we need to learn to pull the identity and the condition into two separate things. So when somebody, you know, one lady wrote to me and she she just wrote this bitter letter. I, I mean, I thought that I thought a demon wrote to me. I mean, it was just awful. I mean, it was just so awful. And I probably didn't have the best reply, which probably didn't help. You know, it was my high D coming out. So I just shot a missile back at her. <laughs> And I told her that letters like that just put gasoline on my fire. <laughs> the demon didn't write back that time. The devil himself did. <laughs> I thought I'll quickly finish that one right now. I won't. I won't. I won't commun- communicate anymore. 
but but she just she went at me and she said that you you obviously you obviously hate autistic children and they think that I hate autistic children because they've combined the condition and the identity together as one. They cannot separate them. So when I talk about my hate for autism, they think I'm saying I hate the kids. No, I, I love the kids. I love the kids. I love the kids so dearly, but I, I do hate the condition. I mean, what I didn't tell her is that, you know, and one, one day maybe she'll be really embarrassed when she finds out herself, is that, you know, I actually have one myself. I mean, that's, that's my daughter, and oh, it's gone. It's my daughter in the middle. That's my, that's my girl in the middle. She's, she's 22. I love her to pieces. And it's just like, I, I, I want to see some reason. I want to see a voice of reason come back into the church. We, we've got to stop saying that. I, I think it's like the ultimate insult to God to say that's how God made them. That's not what I want to speak about this morning. But, uh, but the, 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 the book is, because I don't know what I want to speak about this morning yet. I'm just... <laughs> You know, I, the, the heart, the heart, really, the heart behind the Perfect Gift book is is to bring healing into families. About um, probably maybe maybe four years ago, we're having a really rough time with, with her. I mean, it comes in seasons. Like my poor wife had a really rough night last night. I mean, she's up most of the night last night. Plus, she's plus my wife's sick, and you know, and I'm here, and. Um, and I, I walked into a, I walked into a restaurant, and there's a, a there's a prophet in the restaurant. And his name's uh, Chris Valentin, and he's he's a father of my life. A scary one. I try and <laughs> if I don't want him to read my mail, I stay away from him. <laughs> I walked up. I walked up to him, and this I still don't understand. He's like, "Hello, Chris. How are you? Why would he ask me how I am? <laughs> Shouldn't he say, "Good morning, Chris. You are fine. How am I?" <laughs> and I, I walked up to him, and I said, "Hi. Good morning, Chris." And he goes, hi, Chris. He said, how are you? And I said, you know, Chris, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not doing super well right now. I said, we're just having a really tough season with Charlotte. And I said, I feel like I'm not leading much of a life right now. And, and he looks at me and he goes, you're not leading much of a life right now? He said, uh, this is your life right now. And, and I'm just, I'm trying to be vulnerable with you here. I actually felt like I got delivered of something instantly in the restaurant. See, the issue is, is that many of us in our need for a miracle, I'm not just talking special needs, like whatever our miracle is, cancer, whatever. It's like, when I get my miracle, it's going to be amazing. 
when, when I get my miracle, I mean, it's just going to be a new day. I'm going to be so happy when I get my miracle. So what we really just said is I'm going to be miserable until I get my miracle. Because what happens is our contentment becomes in our miracle. Our contentment should never be in our miracle. Our contentment should be because we have Jesus. I, I tell you, I, I'd lead, I, I'm, this is not a pity thing. Like, I've I got a pretty rough life. Like, you know, life is not easy. You know, it's like you see one side of it. You see me in the pulpit and preaching and having fun. And I go home to, you know, I go home to dealing with the, the nitty gritty of the day of changing a 22 year old's diapers. But my contentment is not in my miracle. And I've learned to thrive in the fire. I've learned to thrive in the fire because my contentment's not there. My contentment's because I've got Jesus right now and I can experience the reality and the presence of Jesus in my life right now. And it's in that place that we actually, we actually thrive in the present day. And I, it's a little wonder why many Christians are not thriving because the contentment's always pushed off. You know, when I get my miracle, I'm going to be content. So I write about things like that in The Perfect Gift. This, like, because these parents of these special needs kids, they are strung out. Mostly, I don't want to make a generalization on that, but most of them are, are highly, highly stressed out because of what they've got to go through. And I have, great, I have great compassion for that. So I'm addressing topics like that in the book about our contentment not being in the miracle, but our contentment being because we have Jesus. Amen. And I, I, wanna, I really wanted this morning to talk about, to talk about peace. It's kind of a two-part message, but... I don't know that I really feel to do either part. <laughs> Except tonight, I'm, I'm definitely gonna. I'm definitely gonna do. <laughs> Please, God, <laughs> let, let me do part two at least tonight. I I wanted to. Um, you know, I've I've been in the healing ministry now for for um, about twenty years, or it's about twenty two years. And where where most of my failures have been as a minister is where I've incorrectly failed to demonstrate the heart and the love of God. To to look back on my life and to look at my preaching life, I just hope that many of the Many of the messages that I preached, particularly in my earlier years, are destroyed. It's like, I hope they're not in the DVD banks of heaven. <laughs> you can watch them when you get there. No, thank you. Like, <laughs> I, hope I hope they're well gone. Because we... So I, I've been... I need to say most of my failures as a minister because I haven't demonstrated the heart of God and and I, I, grew, I grew up in religion I grew up in, in a denomination it doesn't matter what denomination I'm not here to bash a denomination I mean, but I, I grew up in a denomination that, that never talked about the love of the father all as I heard was the the law the, the, the things I must and must not do and the way I needed to perform and the way I needed to behave and 
all the things, you know, just charismatic gymnastics. I went, to, I went to our church theologian who I meet with every two weeks. He kind of keeps me on the straight and narrow and I, I run theological ideas through him of things that I'm pondering on and it's all right, I ran last night's message through him. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering. I'm like, Dan, this is what I got out of Mark 11. What do you think? And he's like, wow. He said, I've never seen that. I mean, this, this guy went to fillers. He goes, I've never seen that. And I'm like, what do you think? You think it'll preach? And he said, well, even if it was an incorrect exegesis on that, even if it was an incorrect exegesis on that passage, he said, I'm good for you to preach that because that is totally, totally scriptural and totally truth, so just go for it. So I'm like, sweet. <laughs> I don't run every message by him, but just when I feel like I might be getting edgy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I sat down with him probably. Is this okay? I just feel like I'm just chatting a little bit and we'll, we'll see if I... I think some people are going to get set free. I, I sat down with him maybe, maybe 12 or 18 months ago and I said, Dan, like, I, I've got to see greater breakthrough. You know, I'm, I'm seeing some extraordinary stuff. I mean, some of the stuff I've seen is just like, it's, I, I, never, I, never, I never dreamt. I tell you, it was, only, um, it was only 15 years ago that I was walking on the beach in New Zealand one morning. I live right next, to, right next to the ocean, beautiful place. The sun's coming up over the hills, over the, over the islands. And, and I was just broken before God, just crying on the beach saying, God, is it possible, please? I could just see one person healed before I die. Just one. Just, just even a little lady's, old lady's headache go away. It'd be a good start. Just, just that. And uh, I could pass into eternity happy, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm completely undone in the way that... And God's just looking for somebody that will just say, Yes. He's not looking for, for how smart we are, and he's not looking for someone that's highly educated. He actually just wants someone to say yes. I, mean, I, I, I ran away from home the day I was 15. I left school the day I was 15. And I've never been back to home to live since the day I lived. I, I'm not educated, but, but my yes... <laughs> I said yes. It was a really loud, profound yes. And I repeat that yes every day. Yes. But I sat with, I sat with the theologian of Bethel. I said, Dan, I, 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 I really need to see greater breakthrough. And he said to me, he said, you know what I, you know what I think you should push in for? It's a greater revelation of the heart of the Father. And he said, I really believe that out of the greater revelation of the heart of the Father, you're going to begin to see greater breakthrough. Because I'd become, I'd become really principle-orientated. Like, I could teach you the principles of healing, and we could apply them this afternoon, and we'll see lots and lots of breakthrough. But what I discovered is I wasn't raising lovers. I was raising robots. And he said, I, I really think you should, you should push in for 
that revelation of the heart of the Father. Now, my youngest two, my oldest one is the only one that lives at home. Charlotte's the only one that lives at home, but my youngest two are, are gone now. They're, uh, they're in college and they're 18 and, 18 and 20. And I, I feel like I've got more of the heart of a father since they've gone because I, I miss them. I fly to Reno on Monday and get to see get to see one of them for for lunch. She's in Reno, so I'll see her for lunch, and then I'll drive across back to California. But just it was probably six months ago that I I went to bed one night and and in the dream I I had this dream and. And it was, it was, I was being quoted two verses in the dream, and they're two very different verses, but they tie together, and it's Isaiah 53. It says, uh, yet it was the Lord's plan to crush him and to cause him grief. And then, it, then, it, then so this repeating voice in the dream went over and over and over again. It says, yet it was the Lord's plan to crush him and to cause him grief. And then it went to Hebrews 12, 2, and it says, For as the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And then the voice said, That joy is you. And then it would repeat. I mean, I probably had it a thousand times in the night, just all night, just that joy is you. Go back to Isaiah 53, Hebrews 2, and then Hebrews 12, and that joy is you, that joy is you, that joy is you. See, religion doesn't teach us how much the Father loves us. Religious teaches, religion teaches us the hoops that we must jump through. And healing would flow so much freer in our life if we just learned to indulge in just how much Father loves us. I... Um, You know, there's a passage in uh, Deuteronomy, and it says, "If the son sins, you take him to the the gates of the city." And it says, "You call for the elders of the, the elders of the city, and they'll come and with stones, and they were to be stoned to death." Now. If you're here and you're like, no, it's about the law. It's like, all right, come and tell me when you sin next, and we'll take you to the, we'll take you to the, I'll take you to the wall myself. We'll call for the elders and we'll stone you because if you're going to live by the law, you should die by the law. I mean, anybody thankful that we're actually under grace? <laughs> <laughs> And I, I started I started reading the the prodigal son again. It's it's a message I used to preach on years ago. Out of I, there's some wonderful messages in there on on identity, but I I just started reading it from a fresh perspective, and I started reading it from the heart of the father as opposed to necessarily the son. I mean, there's lots of stories in there. You know, the, there's stories in there of the older son as well. See, uh, the father, the father loves the children so much 
that he actually gave him free will. See, I, I think I said this last night, but there's a reason why there's two trees in the garden. Because he gives us free will. He's not a controlling father, he's a loving father. If he was a controlling father, he would have put a fence around the tree that we weren't allowed to touch. Or not put that tree in there at all. And then he's creating robots. But he's a such loving father that he actually gave us, he gave us free will. I mean, there's obviously things that are good for us and things that are, that are bad for us, but he doesn't, he doesn't control us. And the, and the son, the youngest son comes to the father and he says, I want my inheritance, which is an insult in Jewish, con, in Jewish culture because it's like saying, I'd rather you just be dead. See, he doesn't control the son. He gives the son the inheritance. And the son, the son goes out, and we know that the Bible says that he, he squanders the inheritance, living, living with prostitutes and ends up with the pigs. And he comes, to his, he comes to his senses finally, and he comes back, and, he, and he, he's practicing this repentant speech. And he says, Father, of, this is not him talking to the Father, this is him talking to himself, Father, of... I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants. And he comes, he comes back practicing his little speech and he gets to his father. And the Bible says that the father sees him coming from afar. And the father runs out. Now that word runs actually means that he outran something. If you study that word out in the original Greek, it means he outran. He had to run faster than something else. See, I'd like to propose to you what he was outrunning. He was outrunning the elders who had stones in their hand ready to stone the son to death for a sin. He outruns the elders and he would have had to have pulled his robe up to be able to sprint because it means like a sprint. get to the, the son to block the elders to stop the law abiders from wanting to stone him and he gets to, he gets to the son and and he says to the son see the, I, I really believe that the, the first uh, I'm sorry I'll come back to that is that the son says father he says I, I sinned against you I'm no longer worthy to be, called, to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants. You notice that the father never responds to the son. And I'd like to propose to you that we cannot have a thought in our head that's not in his. We cannot have a thought in our head about us that he doesn't have in his head towards us. And when we, when we don't have a, th when our thoughts are not aligning with his thoughts that he has towards us, he actually intentionally turns his ear as if he cannot hear us. He turns his, not that the Bible doesn't say he turns his head, but the father never responds to the son as if he never heard the question. I'm not, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants. See, the heart of the father is to, 
I believe that the primary role of a father is to always call their sons back into identity, to restore them back into identity, and to call the gold out on them. And I'm not saying there's times where you just got to say, just stop it. (laughs) I'm not saying that. I mean, the the boy had come to the lowest. I mean, the boy was with the pigs, and it's against Jewish culture to to raise swine. I mean, he's at, he's at the lowest of the low, and he comes back in a mess, and the heart of the father is to restore him back to himself. I I don't know about you. I just it kind of like it kind of messes me up. My my daughter was uh, my middle daughter. I have a I have a very intellectual daughter. She is this, probably one of the most genius minds I've had the privilege of meeting. She I think she got it from her mother. <laughs> she didn't get it from me. And and just a few months ago, she she texted me and when, when she was when she was five, we knew that she was a genius. Like I mean, she was just she was something else. Like so when she was uh, five, we sent her to a society called the George Parkin Society, where they test kids for the intellect. And the uh, the doctor phoned us up and said, uh, "Your daughter, you know, we, we wanted to see whether she's gifted, you know." And they like they call us up and said, uh, "She's not, she's not gifted." And I'm like, "All right, you know, at least we know." They said she's excessively gifted. She's in the one percentile range of genius. I got, I got I joke with people. I got two special needs kids, one on each end of the paradigm. <laughs> It's a, it's a challenging house trying to raise <laughs> with me, Mr. Average, right in the middle. Like, <laughs> and she she wrote to me, and she I, I was thinking about I was just thinking about the heart of the father, and she she's a challenge. At the age of five, they tested her and said that she has a thought process of a sixteen-year-old. Gives just kind of some idea of like now she's 20 you can imagine what her thought process is like you know she doesn't get on through many people because they're just way too immature <laughs> she gets on way better with people that are way older than her than people that are her age she's just got no interest in hanging out with people her age because they're just imbeciles you know <laughs> And I, 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 te- I texted her and, and I, I said that uh, she was really upset about something. She was really stressed and upset about something. And, and I texted her and I, I just I told her how much she loves her, how much I love her. See, the heart of the Father is, the heart of the law is to stone us with stones. But the heart of the Father is to shower us with kisses. See, the son comes home, and I'm still studying this out, but the father goes and kisses him. See, the Bible says he kisses him and embraces him and kisses him on the neck. 
it actually, it actually means that he kissed him clean. He kissed the pig poop off him. Kissed him clean. See, so you have a choice is that you can be showered with stones or you can be showered with kisses. You choose. So I said to my daughter, I said, um, she's gonna, she was going to come home for two nights. She was just really upset about something. She's intense. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I texted her back and I said, I, I can't wait to see you and hang out because I just want to shower you with kisses. And this is what she goes and puts on, on Twitter. <laughs> this, is, this is a really proud moment for me. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, she writes this on Twitter. She says, I wonder why I have such high standard for guys, standards for guys. Then I realize it's because my dad shows me how I deserve to be treated. See, what, what, if as a, what if as a body that we just began to indulge in the Father's love of what the Father thinks about us? Because I tell you, it's, it's really important that I'm still learning this, but I, I cannot have a thought in my head that he doesn't have in his head towards me. But yet most of the church is walking around still acting like they're unloved and they're unforgiven. I, we, I, we are so forgiven. And in, in uh, Luke five seventeen, it says, "The power of the Lord was present to heal." As he's talking about the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were sitting by, and the power of the Lord was present to heal. But only one person was healed in that story, and that was the, par, uh, the paralytic that was hit, lowered down through the roof. And to that one, he, he doesn't say, Sin, uh, son, take up your bed and walk. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Take up your bed and walk. See, we all want to walk in power, but I'd like to suggest to you that we'll ever only walk in power to the extent you know you're forgiven. See, it's about understanding the basics of the gospel, and that's what I've been after lately. It's just like half the church doesn't even know that they're righteous. Half of the church doesn't even know that, they, that they're worthy. My, my boys in prison that I was sharing with you about, by the way, you, you, you will get that overflow book free if you purchase the um, perfect gift. I, I'm, in, I'm in prison with them. Visiting, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not allowed to wear white when I go in there. I have to wear another colour in the event of a riot. They don't want me to get mixed up. The prisoners, they wouldn't know, they wouldn't know who's who. And I'm, I'm standing in front of one of my boys. I mean, he's old enough to be my father, but I'm standing in front of one of these boys, and he's a, he's a triple murderer and a seven-time rapist, whatever it's like, 
He's, he's, he's been a bad man. That's not his identity. The guy's, the guy's burning. The guy that runs the ministry school and there has a pentagram tattoo, tattooed into his head. He is the ex-head of the satanic church of America. Like, he is just on fire for Jesus, if you've ever seen someone. like He just loves Jesus. I trust him with my daughter. I trust all those boys with my daughters. I, I took, uh, took Chadlin's uh, mother in. She's got a good-looking mum, and like, husband is like... <laughs> His mother had a great time. She loved it. And I, I'm, standing there in front of, I'm standing there in front of these boys, and, and the, this man stands, and he asks this question, and he says... You're talking about the difference between unworthy and being undeserving. He said, I'm not sure that I, I, I'm not sure that I understand the difference. He said, can you explain it to me? Because he said, I, I, I am not, I'm not worthy to be used. I said, I said, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. Why do you have a tattoo under your eye of a blood drop? Probably, I probably shouldn't have asked. <laughs> he said, it's because I killed the blood of another color. He said, it was gang initiation. And I looked around and realized that everyone in the room had a blood drop tattoo under their eye. I mean, I'm there with a bunch of murderers, all dressed in white. And I, I'm standing, and I'm standing, I know what some of them have done. You don't go up to them and say, so what did you do, and what did you do? You know, it's not the discussion in, in prison. You know, like, honestly, I, I don't want to know because that's not their identity. And I'm, I'm standing there in front of this man who I know is this triple murderer and a multi-time raper. And the Lord says to me, he says... And so I answered this man's question and I said, well, if you think that you're not worthy of his love or you think that you're not worthy to be used, you need healing. I said, because it's the blood of Jesus that makes you worthy. It's not your performance that makes you worthy. And if the enemy can make you think that you can't be used because of your past performance, then he's got you every time. And he will continually remind you of your past performance, which you obviously have one. And I said, but here's the power of the gospel. He says, so what's the difference then between deserving? And I'm like, well, if you think that you deserve to be used, then you also need healing. See, we're worthy because of the blood of Jesus, but that's the power of the gospel is that each one of us doesn't deserve it, but we get it because that's what's called grace. Because if we think we deserve it, then it becomes entitlement, and then I guess we don't really need Jesus. And then the Lord says to me, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, on, I'm thinking about righteousness. And I found this little tiny piece of judgmentalism that came up in my heart. And the Lord spoke to me right on the spot. So I'm standing in front of this man and he says to me this. He says, you realize, Chris, that in my sight you're all dressed in white? 
He said, what makes you think that your righteousness is any different to their righteousness? Because your self-righteousness, even though you haven't murdered and raped, is just as filthy as theirs. He said, and in my sight, you're, you are the righteousness of Christ. Every one of you, just like them, is dressed in white. All as I see is white. See, I, I just got this real heart to want to see, want to see the church come into that place of just the Father's love, like that we'd stop performing and we'd take off the masks. Yep. And just relish in his love because I really I am I am completely convinced that if we if we relished in his love and we got a greater revelation of just how amazing our father is, the healing would become merely the byproduct. I'm not against teaching healing, but we'd never need to discuss the theology of healing if we had a revelation of the heart of the Father. See what if we what if we stopped uh, what if we stopped punishing our kids? I I, I don't believe in punishment. I, I I do believe in discipline. Yeah. Big difference. When, when I discipline my kids, it has to hurt them. Sorry, it has to hurt me more than it hurts them. If it hurts them more than it hurts me, then I'm punishing them. My, my middle girl, the genius, when she was, when she was younger, she's like, she'd never sleep. I mean, she's just a handful. <laughs> beautiful handful and one night she'd done something it was probably something stupid it was probably something that didn't even need to be addressed but I sent her to a room and I said <clears throat> you're going to pay for that go to your room I'll be there in a minute and she knew what was coming and I hear her in a room and she's wailing and carrying on like the punishment's already happened <laughs> And I, I, I walked into the room and I said, this is going to hurt. It's going to cost somebody dearly for what you did. This, I, I don't even remember what it was. I mean, it was probably something that's so trivial that it didn't need to be addressed. And I said, so bend over. I said, something's about to happen that you're never going to forget. And I took my belt off, my leather belt, and I folded it in half. And I drove that belt down so hard. Not across her backside, but across my own leg. And I, and I came up again, and I brought it down again, and again, and again, and again. And she's just screaming. It took 10 strikes before she realized it wasn't her being hit. It was me. <laughs> My leg is bruised and red and starting to bleed, and I, she begged me to stop. I said... 
That's the love of the Father. That he took your punishment that you would never need to be punished. I just want to see a body of Christ that actually starts living in the forgiveness that Jesus has paid for. Because when we're not living in the forgiveness that Jesus has paid for, we'll end up punishing ourselves for things that we think we need to be punished for, and that's called autoimmune disease, where your body turns against itself because somebody in this equation has to be punished. And our body will punish ourselves for the things that are wrong in our body. I mean, there's over 150 autoimmune diseases. See, what if we just got a greater revelation that we're forgiven, that we're loved, that he he can't love us any more than he already loves us? I almost apologize for this being such a simplistic message. But it's like, no, I'm not going to apologize. It's like, because it's, it's, as a body, is what we need. If you want a principal book on how to heal the sick, go and buy one on Amazon and still live in bondage but learn the principles. <laughs> I just, I, I just, I, I want to live. I want to live free. You know, perfect love is not how much you love God; it's how much God loves you. See John thirteen twenty three. It says that there was one that was leaning on Jesus's breast and whom Jesus loved. Who was that? John, what book is it in? Who wrote the book of John? (laughs) So I guess we can come to the conclusion that Jesus loved John the most. (laughs) Obviously, obviously not, but I'd like to propose that John perhaps had the most revelation of how much Jesus loved him. And he was the one that wrote in 1 John that his perfect love is not how much we love God, but how much God loves us. What is the greatest commandment in the law? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Yeah, aren't you thankful that we're under law, uh, we're under grace and not under law? Isn't it interesting that most, most churches today are still driving the greatest commandment of the law? I'm not saying we don't need to love God. What I'm saying is that me loving God with all of my heart is a byproduct of understanding how much he loves me. I, I think if we have to be commanded to love God, we've got a little problem going on. I don't need to be commanded to love God. I'm just wildly in love with him. Because my attention is on not how much I love him. My attention is on how much he loves me. And out of that is the byproduct of, of love. 
You guys okay? See, what if we had that foundation of just how much we're loved? What if we had the foundation of just how much we're forgiven? What if we really understood that, that your disease doesn't need to be punished? It's already been punished. And we actually stopped punishing ourselves and just began to relish in the love of the Father of just, of just what he, he thinks of you. But yet in our, in our powerlessness, we've created all these kind of theologies that would say it's from God. I know this sounds kind of, this is probably going to, I think it's a great misrepresentation. I, I think it's what upsets the heart of God. I, d- I don't know that God gets angry, but I think God gets really angry <laughs> when we misrepresent him. I, I think it breaks his heart, but yet we've got a church today that is walking around saying, that's how God made my child. I think it's a defamation of character against the heart of God.